Hey there, everybody. I'm Ian Shapiro, and you're listening to Politics Explained. It's probably not a surprise what the main story today is. We're, of course, going to be talking about Trump Tweets Explained. Oh, wait. Trump actually has not tweeted yet today. Uh, if you don't know what's going on today, that's probably why you're tuning in to this show. So today uh, in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, there is a Unite the Right rally, which is expected, or at least has, drawn a lot of interesting individuals into town. So so the long and short of it is this is essentially a white nationalist rally. Uh, the the catalyst for this particular rally is essentially calls were made to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from a Charlottesville city park. Individuals, of course, see this as an attack on Southern heritage and tradition and have come to, you know, unite, rally, and protest the removal of this statue. However, it's shocking but not surprising what happened next violence has erupted out of this Unite the Right rally. According to reporters that are on the scene, uh, individuals pro and against the rally are screaming, throwing water bottles at each other, uh, punches have been thrown, uh, some individuals have been injured. In fact, the police around the area have already declared the rally unlawful, and are currently directing attendees to disperse. However, Charlottesville Police Department is not exactly the most robust police department. They've said in official statements like, hey, we're not Seattle, we're not yada yada, we're not the XYZ big city. Like, this is a problem. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House for the GOP, has um, given his tweet on the issue saying in a, you know, his, his oratorly-like voice, uh, the views fueling the spectacle in Charlottesville are repugnant. Let it only serve to unite Americans against this kind of vile bigotry. Now, normally it wouldn't be strange for Speaker of the House to, you know, say something that's very uniting, even in the face of white nationalism and white supremacism, uh, this alt-right rally going on. However, President Trump hasn't said anything yet, and obviously he will say something. The President of the United States is not going to stay silent on this. Um, of course, he's not actively condemning. Uh, this alt-right rally in the same, at least, you know, vague way that Paul Ryan is. The governor of Virginia, uh, Terry, I'm going to destroy his name, Terry McAuffily, Aufily? Um, if anyone knows it, go ahead and call in. Uh, that's how I'm, I'm going to call him Gov Terry, Gov Terry. Uh, he has actually declared a state of emergency. Uh, actually, while I'm recording this, we also have a tweet from Melania Trump, and it is the verified account, so it's not like a, a parody, uh, who's, of course, first lady, wife of President Trump, saying, our country encourages freedom of speech, but let's communicate without hate in our hearts. No good comes from violence. Hashtag Charlottesville. Obviously, at this rally, the things that are being said, um, the paraphernalia that individuals are wearing and promoting, it's racist, it's vile, it's, you know, House Speaker of the House Paul Ryan got it right. It's repugnant, right? There's all these things, and, you know, I, I, it's impossible for anyone to do it justice in a three-minute, a five-minute clip. Uh, so what the show today is going to be is I'm going to look through some of my archives. Uh, we're going to bring up some discussions about uh, removal of Confederate statues, the individual-level psychology that goes into violence, hate, 
um, all these types of topics. And uh, if you want to call in and talk about the protest, if you're on the Anchor app, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to uh, talk about you know individual psychology that leads to hate more generally, right? These are the types of topics that we're talking about. And then maybe solutions, right? Melania Trump just said freedom of speech is good, but this kind of speech is vile, hateful, repugnant. Um, how do we reconcile these things when something like liberty is a pillar of our American democracy? Uh, so for more on all that, uh, thanks for listening. You're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. On Friday, the nation witnessed the removal of another Confederate statue in New Orleans. Police cars were circled around it, and the imposing statue of General Robert E. Lee, which is a 16-foot-tall bronze figure, and it's mounted on a 60-foot pedestal, well... That thing's gonna get going. Now, the removal of this particular statue is part of an ongoing debate in American politics regarding whether Confederate symbols constitute symbols of hate or whether they are symbols of Southern history and the region's heritage. Now, statue supporters say that they represent an important part of the state's identity and culture. But, of course, other individuals say that this is the Confederacy we're talking about and the Civil War was caused by disagreements over slavery. Thus, the statues and other Confederate symbols are symbols of hatred. One of the interesting things about this hatred versus heritage debate is that we actually can, using science, identify whether symbols like the Confederate flag are about racial animosity or if they actually are about preserving one's cultural heritage. One study of 522 white Georgians conducted at Georgia State University in 2004 suggests that white Southerners who support the Confederate flag are actually less knowledgeable about Southern history. These individuals are no stronger in their attachment to fellow Southerners, and they are less tolerant of interracial dating and more likely to deny that African Americans are discriminated against in the labor market. For the purposes of the study, knowledge about Southern history was measured in two ways, whether the respondent could correctly identify the famous Union General William Tecumseh Sherman and the number of Civil War battles the respondent could actually name. Now, the argument that we see in the news that respect for Southern heritage drives white support for the Confederate flag would probably lead you to believe that flag supporters would know more about Southern history than non-flag supporters, but the survey found the exact opposite. Whites with more knowledge about Civil War history were actually less supportive of the flag that is prominently featured as the Confederate symbol. So regarding the hatred versus heritage debate, the available data say, it's about hatred and not so much about heritage. Hey everyone, so the next segment is one that we've had before, but it talks about um, racial feelings uh, towards other people and uh, vote choice in the 2016 presidential election. And I debated internally about whether to put this one up, but you know, watching video footage uh, from today's rally and also other alt-right rallies in the past, um, a lot of these individuals say that they are emboldened by Trump's statements. 
Um, so bringing kind of our national figures into the whole arena, uh, particularly citing that like, oh, we, we, our group has been, you know, like against globalism, pro-nationalism, securing the borders um, forever. And now we finally have a candidate that is being a useful mouthpiece uh, for these particular views. Um, and so, you know, that I guess that stated connection uh, made it relevant that we talk about voting behavior and uh, racial attitudes and how these two things are connected. So uh, enjoy this next segment. It's uh, pretty interesting. When we look at voting behavior and individual psychology and the 2016 presidential election, a lot of people ask the question, what exactly motivated voters the most? We've heard a lot of stories. Maybe it was gender, maybe it was education. Was it income, like economic anxiety? Was it this authoritarian personality? Or was it something more basic? Was it racial attitudes? Well, in order to analyze what motivated voters to go out and vote in the 2016 presidential election, we now have a very good piece of data. We have now for public consumption the 2016 American National Election Study, meaning that myself and other political scientists have been sent into a flurry of data modeling and chart making. Now a little bit of history on the ANES, it is a survey that's been conducted every year since 1948, well every year that there's an election going on. And at first it was all in-person surveys, we now have some of them online, and we usually get around 1,200 individuals with a nationally representative sampling frame. These individuals respond to questions for about 80 minutes, so this information is not only nationally representative, but we get very deep data. The source is incredibly rich, it's publicly funded, and it allows us as political scientists and the nation as a whole to put elections into a historical perspective. Like I said, we've been doing this since 1948. This means that we can also examine how much each factor of interest affected vote choice in 2016 compared to other recent elections, and also compared to other factors. So let's look at what the data tell us. Uh, let's look at authoritarianism first. Now, this authoritarian personality is used by political scientists, and it's not the same thing as fascism. In this case, we're talking about an individual's psychological disposition to see that social change is something that should be averted, and threats to social order should be mitigated through strong leadership. When we look at the historical trends in individuals who voted for a GOP presidential candidate since the year 2000, we actually see that Trump's votes are actually less authoritarian than we've seen from other white Republican voters in the past. This essentially means that authoritarianism can't explain why individuals voted for Donald Trump, at least not very well relative to historical standards. The next piece of analysis that we'll do is the real punchline that should be concerning. Uh, let me just get to it. So a lot of people are wondering whether racism affected voting behavior in the 2016 presidential election. Uh, during this election, Donald Trump definitely made a lot of overt racial comments with seemingly little or no electoral penalty. So the question is, was this racism actually a boon? Now, it's very hard to test 
whether individuals have racist attitudes because it's hard to just ask them things like, do you believe that blacks and Mexicans are lazy? People tend to skirt away from answering those types of questions truthfully. So instead, researchers asked individuals whether, whether racial bias and inequalities today are a result of social bias or a individual's personal lack of effort and their irresponsibility. This gets at the idea of whether racism is not actually racism, but it's just look at these people, look how lazy they are, or if there's something systematic going on that we as a country can solve. Using this measure of racism and looking at elections since 1988 show that there has never been such a clear correlation between vote choice and racial perceptions. This essentially means that more so than in any recent election, racism mattered, and it mattered for vote choice. Using these data and the statistical tool of regression, we can actually look at the relative influence of authoritarianism and racial attitudes. Some researchers have already run these models, and after controlling for education, race, ideology, and age, moving from the 50th percentile of authoritarianism to the 75th percentile made someone about 3% more likely to vote for Trump. That same 50 to 70th percentile jump on the symbolic racism scale made someone 20% more likely to vote for Trump. For more on the determinants of vote choice, you're listening to The Politician on Anchor. Hey everyone, a new update. It's about 11.30 Mountain Time, so that would mean it's about 1.30 Eastern. Uh, Donald Trump has tweeted in response to the Charlottesville alt-right violent rally. Uh, we, he, has, he is saying on Twitter, hey, Trump tweets explained. I'm Ian Shapiro, politics explained. We all must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There is no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. Okay. Okay, so uh, I hadn't read this before, right? This is the first time I just kind of saw that he tweeted. Um, I mean, this is non-committal, right? This is about as good as he can maybe do in a tweet. It'll be interesting to see if he gives any kind of press conference. He gave one yesterday um, for a national security briefing. Uh, he gave a press conference when he threatened fire and fury against North Korea. Um, so it will be interesting to see if this is the end of his statement. Uh, we must all be united and condemn all that hate stands for. Okay, that's well and good, but what about the individuals that are espousing such hate? Uh, what do we do about them, right? Do we ignore them? Do we engage them in some kind of, you know, moderately productive way? And if so, what is that, right? This is lacking. It's lacking what you basically everything. It's lacking everything that 140 character constrictions would make you lack, right? Which is one of the bigger issues that I personally have with the president using Twitter. I love that we can get an idea of what's going into his mind. Um, that's a really unique, special thing about this president using Twitter. However, it's not good for really bringing the country together in the way that this treat says it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I'm going to leave it with that today. Um, thanks for checking out Politics Explained. We're going to have kind of a post-mortem on this and other violent rallies tomorrow. Um, 
which will be Sunday. Uh, so uh, if you're on Anchor, go ahead and like, uh, discuss the different segments that we've got. If you're on iTunes or Google Play, uh, leave a review, uh, subscribe, tell a friend about the show, join the discussion by entering, uh, entering by downloading the Anchor app. Uh, until then, you're listening to Politics Explained, and I'm Ian Shapiro. Uh, take care of each other.